Hi, and thanks for tuning in to My Adventures at Home Brewing. I'm Dan Matthews, and come along with me as we talk about things for new home brewers, from gadgets to how we got started to, I don't know, all the mistakes we make along the way. So come along for the ride and have a beer or two along the way. looking for that yeast that can help you attain the best beer possible that you're looking for escarpment laboratories escarpment laboratories are located in guelph ontario and make some of the finest yeasts in canada if you want to make the beer that you want and have consistent results all the time you need to check out escarpment laboratories hey guys dan here have you ever had a problem getting your glass or plastic fermenter clean? Well, I've just been introduced to something that's brand new. Uh, it's called Scrubber Duckies. It's a magnetic scrubber meant for glass or plastic fermenters. All you do is you drop this down inside your fermenter, use the handle, and scrub through the crud that's left over from the crucin. I've seen a lot of things, but this is, seems to be one of the neatest and coolest things out there right now. If you're having a problem getting your plastic or glass fermenter clean, this is something to use. Scrubber duckies. Hey everybody, it's Dan once more with my adventures in home brewing. And thank you very much for coming along for the ride and the beer or two along the way. Uh, today, we are very fortunate to have a returning guest, uh, Richard Priest from Escarpment Laboratories. He is one of the founders of this great company. And I have to admit, I've been using their yeasts pretty religiously uh, because I've been finding that they are absolutely consistent every single time. So, Richard, thanks for being on the show today. That's awesome to hear, Dan. Uh, thanks for having me. Awesome. So, just in case some people are new to the show and all that, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, uh, I'm one of the co-founders of Escarpment Labs. We're a yeast lab based in Guelph, Canada. Um, sort of started with the goal of being able to, to uh, offer brewers in Canada uh, the same, you know, great quality liquid yeast without. Uh, as many of the hassles with the border and shipping. Uh, we continue to offer that and continue to um, build really close connections, really close partnerships with uh, brewers all across Canada, uh, as well as the US and Europe. And you know, really looking forward to continuing to grow with the craft beer and homebrew industries. I gotta say, uh, I've used Foggy London, which killed one of my digital airlocks because it was just so, <laughs> so powerful. I didn't really understand how strong it was when I was talking to Justin at Stray Dog. But that yeast is, as the saying goes, the yeast is a beast and it goes flat out. It's awesome. Uh, I've used the Irish ale yeast. I've used, uh, yeah, I think it's called Igor or something like that. It's like a Pilsner yeast or lager yeast. Isar, maybe the Isar lager. Yeah, Isar, yeah. that's it. That one's really nice as well. So this weekend, I'm going to be using uh, your Irish ale yeast to make a stout. So you have any recommendations what I should use for hops with it? The stout. Uh, I mean, I always kind of just go, you know, pretty clean uh, in terms of hopping with stouts. I mean, especially when you have some of the bitterness from some of the roasted grains, usually like something just like a neutral bittering hop and then something English to finish is, is always nice. Like, you know, bittering with like CTZ and, and then maybe like a little bit of East Kent Goldings or something uh, in the, in the uh, flame out, I think, I think would work pretty great. Okay. Awesome. So today we are going to be talking Kvike. So 
I've done a little bit of research and I've learned that it's a relatively new yeast. Uh, Kvike is actually uh, the name uh, of just saying it's yeast and it's uh, Norwegian and that it's actually pretty uh, resilient to, to heat. So how about you let us know a little bit more about it. Why is it such a big craze right now? Yeah, it's all those things and more, right? Um, it's, uh, it is, uh, I mean, new, maybe, maybe, uh, new old yeast. Uh, <laughs> really, uh, a lot of these things can be traced back generations and generations. Um, they come from Western Norway, where there is a uh, unbroken farmhouse brewing tradition um, that spans back generations and generations, you know, hundreds of years of people, you know, making beer at home and learning from uh, their parents or grandparents and sort of carrying on that tradition. And, and part of that is the maintenance and sharing of, of a yeast uh, culture that they call kvike. And um, so that, what that's resulted in is, is that there's a whole bunch of different farms and families that have all sorts of different uh, kvikes of their own. They're all, a lot of them are very different from each other. Um, and I think the reason that the, the brewing world beyond Norway got excited about this is that these yeasts can do things that other yeasts can't or that other yeasts struggle with. They tolerate high temperatures, right? You can pitch this, these things at 100 Fahrenheit or like 38 Celsius and uh, they're totally fine. They're happy. Um, they can handle really high alcohol levels. Uh, they can handle uh, drying out. Uh, you know, a lot of the brewers in Norway dry out the yeast between batches. So there's a lot of really cool features that they have that, you know, conventional yeasts don't really have. Like no one would, would even think of fermenting with USO5 at 38 Celsius, right? You, you just know that you're not going to get good results. Yeah, unless um, it's under so, pressure. Yeah. Exactly. So, so like, like offers a lot of that, uh, you know, really allows brewers to go places they otherwise wouldn't be able to in terms of temperature. Uh, the other cool thing about them is that they're some of the fastest fermenting yeasts out there as well. So brewers have been known to, to turn around beers in less than a week using Kvike because it ferments fast and, you know, doesn't really require a whole lot of cleanup uh, after the fermentation. So uh, there's a lot of potential benefit there as well. Um, you know, if you're, if it's Tuesday and you need a, a beer made for Saturday, it's, it's not impossible. That's fast. I mean, I was reading that it says it could be anywhere from, I think they said 12 to 24 hours or 24 to 48 hours and the beer is done pretty much. It can, it can be that fast. Yeah. That's the right conditions. Yeah. That is nuts. So <laughs> how, did, how did this yeast come about? I mean, I mean, Farmstead Brewing, I mean, was it an accident? Was it something that the, it was just kind of passed down kind of like sour bread starters. Everyone has their own, like certain people have their own stirs for sour bread or whatever else. Uh, was it that type of principle that it stayed within certain regions or certain families once it was found and just grew from there? Yeah. I mean, I think if you look further back into history, then um, at least if you're looking at, well, really anywhere in the world, but in, in this case, we're talking about Europe, then everyone was brewing, right? If you're a peasant, you're not going to be able to afford to buy beer from the store. You, you make it yourself, right, with the, the grain that you grow. And so all over Europe, there was probably a farmhouse or peasant brewing tradition that slowly got replaced by industrial brewing, especially as uh, cities emerged and as uh, and certainly as the Industrial Revolution, you know, came to be. Um, and, and a lot of the, the things that we all did ourselves became automated. 
uh, and that we didn't have to, you know, grow our own barley uh, anymore. Um, so the places where this survived, and, and there is surviving farmhouse brewing in, in a lot of different pockets in Europe, the places where this survived tend to be places where it is either culturally or geographically separated from the rest. Uh, you have places like Western Norway where it is geographically separate, right? Like they didn't have good roads until 50, 60 years ago. Yeah. Uh, so they were pretty geographically isolated. Sure. <laughs> uh, you have, you know, some of these uh, traditional brewers deep in the forest in Russia. It's kind of the same thing. And then you have things like uh, the Lithuanians and Latvians that are, you know, really fighting very hard to keep their cultural heritage uh, and the brewing is a part of it. Oh, that's pretty cool. I mean, seeing it, it's made its way across the Atlantic to North America. How did we find out about it? Was it brought over <laughs> with, with people who were immigrating and they said, well, we're going to try and do this. I mean, if you look back uh, to when, I guess, uh, before prohibition, even after prohibition, um, people were just making just generic beer, fast, easy, the way they knew how to make it. There was no indication of like sour beers or Kvike beers or uh, Russian Imperial Stouts, bar barrel aging, whatever else like that. It, it had to come from somewhere within the, the community to be found. So how did we as brewers in North America find this yeast? I mean, just uh, in terms of evolution of brewing in North America, I think a lot of it is traced back to to Britain and and Germany. Um, that tends to be the sort of the two the two lines. Um, uh, if you trace everything back, and, and there's there's lots of influence in North American brewing from from both uh, from both Britain and and, and Germany. Um, if we're looking at Kvike specifically, then um, I think the the really key person or factor here was was this guy named Lars Marius Garshall who started writing about this stuff um, in English. Uh, he was just a sort of a beer geek, beer writer, uh, who got interested in what was going on in, you know, in Western Norway in the traditional brewing. And at the time, no one knew about this or cared about this. And he took an interest and started writing about it. And, um, you know, once he started writing about these magical yeasts that these brewers had um that's kind of when a lot of the rest of the world started to pay attention um okay. and really uh i think th there are other people that have also you know written about this stuff and documented it but i think he's the one who could take a lot of the credit for the uh explosion in in Kvikin and the awareness of of traditional brewing Okay. So what are the styles that like people now are mainly using Kvike for? Are they using it for lagers or are they looking for fast turnaround ales? The cool thing is that the, there's a lot of different Kvikes out there, right? It's a whole family of yeast. It's not just one thing. So there are different strains of Kvike that are useful for different beer styles. So there are some that are awesome for for juicy IPAs. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some that are very, very neutral that can be used for lager-like beers. Um, and there's lots sort of in between, right? If you're making a, like a stout or a barley wine or something like that, and you want a little bit of yeast character. So that, that's the really cool thing about them is that they, they almost are chameleons of a sort uh, and can fit into uh, you know, a lot of the existing beer styles, um, but can do things a little bit faster and a little bit better um, than a lot of conventional yeasts. So if, here's a question for you. If I wanted to make something like, say, like a Berliner Weiss, what kind of Kvike yeast would I use? 
<laughs> I, I, I mean, I really like, you know, in Berliner Weisses, whether it's traditional with the bread or whether it's a little bit more of a modern interpretation, I really like having some fruity yeast character. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a, a strain called Lairdal, um that that was uh, something that we sort of produced as a one-off and it's grown to become one of our favorites. Uh, it, it produces a really distinct sort of pineapple character. And I think that that works quite well, um, either in a traditional funky Berliner or in a, you know, sort of modern fruity one. I think it works uh, quite nicely in, in both of those contexts. Oh, okay. So how many different strains do you guys really have right now? I mean, I, I've only seen, like, when I, when I, see, when I hear Kvike, I always think there's only the one strain. So actually, how many different strains do you guys make? Yeah, that's a really good question. So, um, I mean, the number of Kvike strains out there is, is still an unknown. Um, we've got about 300 different uh, Kvike isolates, strains, potential strains in our bank. Uh, we don't know yet, you know, how, how different all those are from each other. Um, you know, some, some researchers that have gone even deeper have found, you know, more than a thousand. So <laughs> there's a lot out there. Jeez. Um, yeah. In terms of source cultures, there's, there's, uh, about 60 or 70 that are known right now. And then, you know, a lot of these themselves contain dozens of different strains. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really hard to answer. Right? You know, we have made a lot of them available. We have, um, six that are, that are sort of regularly available as, products from Ascarbon Labs, and we also have a program called the Kvike Ring, uh, where we release a new one every month um, so that people have more access to um, high-quality okay. you know, Kvikes and related farmhouse yeast. We've done some of the you know, non-Kvike farmhouse yeasts as well uh, through that, and, and that's been really cool because then it uh, sort of creates an opportunity where the brewers are testing these things out, test driving them at the same time as we are, so we're mm-hmm. kind of learning together. Okay. So is there anything that we should know about a Kvike yeast in order to make sure it's happy while it's fermenting or, or, or do we just let it do its thing? Or is there anything that can be harmful to it when we're brewing? Yes. So, I mean, Kvike are awesome, but they do, uh, they are a little picky when it comes to the fermentation. So, um, you know, typically those hotter temperatures are going to work a lot better for a fast ferment. Um, Some of them, are, are happy at lower, you know, normal fermentation temperatures as well. Um, but they really don't like that temperature dropping too fast. So if you are right. pitching it warm, uh, keep that ferment insulated so that it doesn't drop in temperature too much or, or use temperature control. Mm-hmm. Um, they really like oxygen. They really like nutrients, uh, making sure that the, the yeast gets a lot of oxygen, um, keeping in mind, you know, the traditional context, the way that the guys are fermenting over in Norway is in open fermenters, basically just you know, open wooden or plastic uh, barrels. Um, So that means the yeast is kind of used to uh, being Being able to breathe oxygen and and have, uh, have that exposure. Um, So, so oftentimes, especially for, you know, if you're fermenting in a closed fermenter, it helps to give it uh, a big dose of oxygen up front and then nutrients as well. Although, you know, most, most warts do, do offer most of the nutrients the yeast needs. Um, I, I do think that, you know, in, um, but in certain beers, like if you're using Pilsner malts or, uh, you know, really low gravity beers, then uh, uh, adding some nutrients can help a lot as well, just because there's just less food in those. So, yeast. so just using our gener- generic yeast nutrients is, in, anytime you use a Kvike, is, is it relatively a good idea just to make sure everything's happy? 
Yeah, I would use I would use a little bit. Okay, for sure. All right. So now with Kvikes, um, I mean, I, I think a lot of the local breweries and even homebrewers are mainly using it to make, at least for what I've seen, I should say, um, is a lot of fast turnaround lagers. Uh, okay. Like I know some people like so like he did an interview with a friend of mine, Coulter Wilson from Homebrewing yes. DIY. Yes, really cool guy. Uh, I think he did a pseudo pilsner with a Kvike yeast. So, and he was like, it was okay, but I'm not sure where he may have gone wrong. It, it, it could have been maybe the oxygen. It could have been maybe he didn't use yeast nutrients. Um, is there is there like any key? aspect of the Kvike yeast that could be a downfall to someone using it? Um, I mean, I, I think especially if you're looking at the, you know, lager-like beers or pseudo-lagers, you, you have to understand the yeast limitations and that uh, it's not a lager yeast. And lager yeast, I, I mean, I think classically, we, we kind of think about lager as having no flavor, lager yeast is having no flavor, but it's not really true. They do have a very distinct flavor profile and Absolutely. and and that is hard to mimic with uh, with a yeast that's not lager yeast so you can get really really close for sure using kvike and it really comes down to the right strain or the right blend of strains and uh the right fermentation conditions you know we're we have one uh product called crispy that that's intended for that purpose but you know we're still we're still working on uh you know we're still test driving it to to find the right conditions for those kinds of, of beers. We've had awesome results, but you know, we're, we're kind of never satisfied. So we're always trying new things. Um, yeah. And that's sort of the, that's right. That's the one yeast that the local homebrew store doesn't carry. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. They, well, can, they should cause they'll sell it. Yeah, I know. You should just talk to Athena at beer grains. Tell her they need to carry this. <laughs> okay. I will do that. <laughs> cause I mean, I would love to buy a lot of the yeast that you have, on your website, but unfortunately, as a home brewer, I can't do that through you, which which is understandable because you you deal with, with the homebrew shops, which is part of your model, and also deal with the local breweries. But yeah. um, I'm not sure if a lot of the homebrew stores really understand what these yeasts are. So, is there a way to educate the homebrew stores other than a customer going in and say, "Hey, look, can you get this for me?" Yeah. Um... And that's on us too. It's, you know, communicating the value of these things. Mm. Um, we do try to, to invest in educational resources um, and, you know, including with the shops, uh, we try to try to make sure that they get some up-to-date, you know, literature and information on the strains. Uh, we're going to, we've sort of just overhauled all of our, our, our branding and there's going to be some you know, overhauled homebrew pouches out there. And that's going to help sort of set up. Uh, one of the things we're doing is, you know, trying to set, to set apart the bikes, a little bit as well and uh you know make them look really enticing um but yeah it, it is tricky like homebrew shops are, are are in a tough position i know that you know a lot of them are uh you know it's hard to take a risk on a on a new yeast that you're not sure if it's going to sell so yeah. they're, they're often you know is a bit of time for you know them waiting for you know 5 10 15 customers to say hey please bring in crispy before before it happens uh so we definitely hear that and you know we'll keep trying to to make it easier for them as well and you know, continue to try to provide educational resources. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing I would add here is that um, recently we have been doing some experiments with direct sales. So, you know, right now it's kind of a pilot program right now, but right now 
if you're a home brewer or a group of home brewers, uh, we can accommodate an order. Uh, oh. It is a 10 pitch minimum right now. So okay. simply because the shipping costs uh, gotcha. and, and packaging costs are such that it, it doesn't really make sense for, for either of us lower, uh, lower volume than that. Not, not mm-hmm. that we can't lower it in the future, but um, that's kind of the bar we've set right now is okay. Let's if you, if you don't have a local homebrew shop and you want our products and you've got a few buddies, then, then, you know, join forces and, and we can do a, you know, a 10, 15 pitch order for you. Oh, that's good to know. I think there's a few people here that I know that would be all over that, like a dirty shirt. <laughs> so it's all good. So is there anything else about the Kavikis that we should really know that uh, one, that how it really, it's beneficial to us, uh, to our brewing, uh, to, can, or two, can we reuse it if we harvest it? And three, uh, how, other than watching the temperature and uh, making sure it has nutrients and oxygen, how do we go about not killing it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think I can answer this question. So repitching, uh, typically not, a, not an issue. I mean, I, I love getting asked this question um, because I think my default cheeky answer is, It'll probably work for 400 years or so, at least, right? We have evidence of that. <laughs> All right. Uh, so repitching generally okay, but it, it does come down to how the yeast is treated. And that's, you know, to your second question, that's one of the pitfalls that we see is um, with with using Kvike is, is that people see, okay, it likes a hot fermentation temperature. But the other thing you have to keep in mind is that it ferments fast. And that if yeast is held at a hot temperature after it's done, it really gets stressed out and doesn't like that. So... Uh, one of the things we try to caution about is, you know, as soon as that yeast is at the expected final gravity, uh, don't don't hold that temperature hot. Like if you've got like a, you know, a, a heater on or something like that, turn it off because once the yeast is done fermenting, uh, it doesn't want to be that hot. It's going to get stressed out. You might have some off flavors produced as a result of that. And, you know, that that's one of the common things we see, you know, in people emailing us or, you know, posting on Facebook about Kvike is, you know, rubbery off flavors. And usually it's the result of, of, of the ferment staying too hot for too long. Right. Okay. Well, I think that you've, we've covered everything we can within this segment, Richard. Cool. So again, thank you very much for being on the show. Greatly appreciate you taking your time out of, out of over at the lab. It is greatly appreciated. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back on again and talk about, maybe something else that you maybe that you want to talk about for yeast and all that absolutely we've got no shortage of uh yeast and brewing things to talk about awesome so thanks a lot richard i appreciate it and we'll see you on the other side brother cheers cheers man i'd like to say thank you to richard for being on the show this week as always the man is a wealth of knowledge and as always their products are well worth the investment in buying So if you haven't had a chance, go check out Escarpment Laboratories and buy some of their yeasts. You will not be disappointed. And thanks again for tuning in this week, guys. Again, as I always say, thanks for coming out for a beer or two along the way and one more time around the sun. If you can, please leave me a review on your uh, mobile app, uh, what you use for uh, podcasting, or go to visit me at anchor.com or sorry, anchor.fm and uh, leave me a review there. Check me out on Instagram and also on uh, Facebook. So cheers, folks, and I'll see you on the other side.